Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good day. Good week. Good morrow. <laughs> Whatever the <laughs> good Whatever. morrow. Well, I don't know. I've, it was a Shakespeare. <laughs> moment in time. Um, today on the show, we are going to talk about the series Black Mirror, and we are up to season four. So we both just watched six episodes of season four. I believe there's only really one more season, season there, five, yeah, season right? Five. Mm-hmm. So we'll do that in another few months, and mm-hmm. then we will have made our way all the way through it, which I think is fairly amazing. Uh, so the first, so I guess in general, like overall, what did you feel about the season in general? I would say that five out of six, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to remember the last, actually, I'm trying to remember the last episode. It's called Black yeah, Museum. Yeah, four, four and a half out of six. <laughs> well, you liked? I liked. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I overall, um, overall, I felt like the whole season had... I don't know. I saw one review that said less bite. Like there's less trauma. <laughs> like I, I had less trauma watching them. And so maybe that's why a lot of people felt like it had, it had less of that black mirror torture, psychological torture. I think for me, it felt more like existential and reflective mm-hmm. than it did mm-hmm. traumatizing like we saw in the first three seasons. Yeah, I think that's... It, it like leaves you thinking about what people actually want. I think that was the overall, mm-hmm. you know, it, man playing God or, you know, choosing your destiny, yeah. uh, survival, what you'll do to survive. I think that those were some of the overarching themes of this season. Right, like I still think they had the Black Mirror twists, mostly, not mm-hmm. always though. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I, I wasn't quite as traumatized because there wasn't those like horrible, violent twists a lot right. of times. I mean, sometimes, but not, I don't know. Yeah. That, so that was my general easier to watch kind of thing. Totally. I mean, even one of the episodes I think is directed by Jodie Foster. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, yeah, it's just this and is, the, the caliber of actors is very different. There's totally. more Americans, obviously, because of the switches that they made. But and the budget, like you said, you know, with each season, the budget goes up a little bit. So right. I, I don't know if the first couple seasons there was a lot of shock, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think they just have more room for like creativity, and they did this season did steer away from, like you said, the torch, there wasn't as much torture going on. I mean, there was some psychological torture. Yeah. There's definitely some, but um, yeah, it it definitely felt different. Yeah. And like, like you said, because of the budget, there was more ability to do more like sci-fi stuff. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Yeah. We'll see. (coughs) All right. So let's get into it. So there's six episodes. The first one is, uh, entitled USS Callister. It was actually an hour and 16 minutes. They yeah, it's made, a long one. They made a little mini movie. They did. My, you know, because, I mean, a lot of the horror movies we watch are 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there mm-hmm. it was. Uh, directed by Toby Hayes, uh, starring <laughs> Jesse Plemons. Ooh. I like him. I like him, I too. didn't know he was engaged to Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> no, at some point before her 
Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I think they they still are. Oh, They're okay. married. No, great. it's more no, recent. I, I liked him on Friday Night Lights. So, oh, me yeah, too. He was a, too. such a great character on that show. He pops up in a lot of indie movies. He pops up a lot of places. Mm-hmm. I, I'm happy that he was in this. I mean, yeah. that was one of the reasons why I was looking forward to this particular episode. So mm-hmm. this was a sci-fi thriller for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain Robert Daly presides over his crew with wisdom and courage but a new recruit will soon discover nothing on the spaceship is as it seems. <laughs> that's an understatement. Yeah. <sighs> um, <laughs> that's a massive understatement. And I'm not, it's, it's interesting because so Robert Daly's the CTO of a tech entertainment company, but by night he's in his own private cinematic universe based on a TV show he watched as a child. So it's like a star Trek ripoff basically Mm -hmm. as the commander of a starship exploring new worlds. So basically he's this major tech company guy, uh, really well respected, very mild mannered, um, seemingly very, kind of mousy, I guess is yeah. probably word, like sort of take people take advantage of him, this kind of thing. But he's the CTO, like right. he's in charge, but he comes off very uh, meek, I guess is probably a better word. And then initially anyway. <laughs> yeah. In, in the world. And then what we find out is that he's created this uh, high tech alternate VR type of world where he is the master of his, you know, Star Trek fleet. <laughs> Basically, it's a rip on Star Trek. So he's the Will Shatner of his dreams. And then we come to find out that he's actually found a way to trap those real life workers that have been hypothetically taking advantage of him in the mm-hmm. real world into this alternate world. Mm-hmm. And he can distort them any way he wants. I guess. Did I miss anything? No, that's right. I mean, it, it, there's a bit of a revenge fantasy there, and um, mm-hmm. it is a revenge theme. Like it as is. far as yeah. horror is concerned, mm-hmm. it's it's revenge. I mean, it was it was interesting. I liked the episode. It wasn't my favorite, but I liked it. I think that this is um, it's like the inner narrative that somebody who feels taken advantage of their whole life or the underdog. Um, it's like a fantasy of if they were to literally create their own universe. Mm-hmm. Um, what I find interesting about it, though, is the the girl th- at the end ends up really wanting the same kind of drug and power as as he wants. Yeah, too. You know, where like at first she's like so beside herself that she's in his fantasy, and then at the end it's like, well, I kind of want to try this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is kind of fun being all powerful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Uh, you know, he ends up being a basically a sadistic, narcissistic psychopath. Right. <laughs> That's what we realize is like this meek guy, which is very stereotypical, right? Like ha- half the true crime things we look at. It's like, right. that's what it is. It's like, oh, he was a nice guy. He was very friendly. <laughs> he was yeah. very unassuming, you know, and then it's like this very deep shadow <laughs> psychopathic personality um, that we are left to assume is from a revenge like that he's been you know bullied all his life or Mm -hmm. traumatized all his life and you know you and i both know it's not that simple because lots of people are bullied all their lives and don't turn into a psychopath so i uh it almost has that flavor of like the school shooter syndrome though you know where it's like we don't we don't obviously know anything about his um his childhood they don't talk about that of course at all but what we do know is here's this you know young white male 
feeling very entitled to what he wants and what he deserves and he hasn't gotten it his whole life. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to make people pay for that. Yeah. Torturing them in an Torturing them. universe, which is, you know, Black Mirror, high tech. Yeah. It's always a technical theme, obviously. I was thinking in the very beginning when we were watching, when I was watching it, it's like the submissive in life creates a game where he's the dominant, you know, yeah. sort of. I, <laughs> it made me laugh because one of my favorite lines. So in the alternate universe, nobody has any genitals. That's right. He's taking he away down, the guy pulls the, down his pants. Yeah, yeah. He's like, look, there ain't nothing going on down yeah. there. He makes everybody androgynous, which he does. is, I, you know, which is a powerful, you know, message to send. Mm -hmm. And also my favorite line came out of that. Um, she says, Stealing my pussy is a red fucking line. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I remember that. She's like, I would, I would adore all of this. Yeah. <laughs> but he stole my pussy and we're done. That is so funny. <laughs> it made me laugh really hard. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to say about the ending is I thought that, um, you know, I, I, I liked, I enjoyed the ending because it's, uh, you know, it's a narcissist trapped in the world of his own making. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they trap him sort of out in a jettisoned, you know, thing. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the narcissist trapped in a world that he made. Like, that's right. Uh, you know, which is what happens. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's why I loved the metaphor. I was and like, becomes his own. It, it, he, be, he victimizes himself in a sense. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, Hey, Oh yeah, <laughs> we did it. Mm -hmm. That was, a, I thought that was a uh, really well written. So yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It was different. Yeah. Yeah. So the second episode is called arc angel. Ooh, I liked this episode. Okay. Yeah. Let me do the little, I'm going to do the little hoo-ha here, the little whatever this episode is. So after nearly losing her daughter, a mother invests in a new technology that allows her to keep track of her. And this one was directed by Jodie Foster. And oh, this is the one. Okay. Yeah. And so that, um, that makes sense to me. Worried about her daughter's safety. This single mother Marie signs up for a new device that monitors the girl's whereabouts and much more. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you like about this episode? I think, uh, as someone who works with teen girls and young women, um, this is interesting. So a while back I had a client say to me, um, cause we, we were talking about black mirror. We were, she, one of my teen clients, we were talking about black mirror and she brought up this episode and how it reminded her a lot of what she's experienced with her own mother and, um, the helicopter, yeah, and, and the helicopter, but almost so much that the mother's anxiety overcorrects, you know, and it usually comes from their own trauma or whatever. Um, so I remember saying, yeah, I'm getting through the seasons. I'll let you know when I finally get to it. And then we had a conversation about it in session oh. um, and really like dissected it. But so I think because I work with a lot of teen girls and young women um, who have experienced clearly not to this degree, um, this overcorrectedness from a mother protecting her, the daughter so much from the world that it ends up doing more damage because the daughter then is like everything that you're trying to do, I'm going to do the opposite mm -hmm. so much that everything you're trying to do to get me to stay, inevitably I will leave. Um, and, and the mom, you can just, the mom starts to lose her footing. And I think, and let me just say this, it's really hard to be a parent. So I'm not, I'm not saying this from any sort of 
you know, derogatory place, but I think it's easy for a parent to slip further and further in that rabbit hole of anxiety so much that now with technology, you know, I know parents that track their kids on GPS over the phone and, um, it need to know every detail of where they are. And if they walk outside the GPS, almost like if you lose a dog, you know, they're calling going, the red lit up on my phone. Why are you not where? And it's like, holy shit. Like what happened to the days that we, you know, the sun went down and then you came home for dinner. Well, and it's like what that causes too is, you know, the the attachment, the developmental stages where uh, teenagers need to create autonomy. It's one of the developmental right. stages is you need to fight against, a, you know, it's really powerful to have a, a parent that has uh, strong boundaries, accountability, follow, doesn't threaten, but follows through on natural and normal consequences. We all have to have that in order to rebel against it because that's right. just part of being a teenager. That's normal is to rebel against a strong wall and then and then rebound to create autonomy. And right. that's just the developmental stage. So, but if you're not allowed to rebound to create autonomy and given that, the given that, um, that length of, uh, leash or whatever you want to call it. Uh, they need it like right. LA, you know, right. it's like, they just don't get that autonomy that they, they, they're not at launch failure to launch. Failure to launch. Is that sort of that idea? Totally. We see this more now too. I th- and I think it's complicated because it's also way more expensive to live in the world now. And college is more expensive. Agreed. And, I mean, you could used to be able to straight out of high school, buy a house and get a good job. And <laughs> I mean, we're talking like the fifties, you yeah. know, but I mean, it, it got progressively harder as time went on. True. But I think this episode, um, just, I, I think it represents, um, people's reactions to trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, we know at the very beginning, she almost loses her mm-hmm. from getting kidnapped. Right. And so she does everything she can in her power to create this illusion of control that if she keeps close enough gauge on her daughter, her daughter will never get hurt, will never experience anything negative in her life. And and, and we know this. One, that's impossible. And two, it isn't appropriate or healthy. Right. It's the very nature it's the very nature of codependency, feeling mm-hmm. like, you know, because someone has scared you or made you feel like they might die or leave or whatever it is. And then you, you push in with the codependency as if you can control what happens to them and the outcome. And, and that's a codependency is such a, an uncomfortable place to sit inside. Mm -hmm. And, and this is just as with all black mirror episodes, this is like the, you know, an, a a massive, you know, times 100, right? Like they take it to the nth degree. Yeah. I mean, it becomes, it it becomes uh, her obsession is to keep this, you know, her daughter. And then, and then of course, you know, she falls onto things that she wishes she doesn't see like her daughter having sex for the first time. Yeah. I mean, because it's technologically savvy, right? There's all these like videos and stuff she can use like so she can literally see through her eyes i think it is right like she can yeah see she the video. she from what i remember after the daughter um she after she thinks she was kidnapped or whatever she gets her back she goes into that company and so from the time she's young she puts that surveillance on her because right. there's a part in the episode where they go wow that's still on you yeah yeah like, like how old are you how old are you and <laughs> and so i think that that's such a metaphor for you know people going wow you're your mom still asks you to call or to yeah, check yeah, in that's or exactly, you know, and, and yeah, it gets to a point where you're like, 
that's not really necessary anymore. And it's really counterproductive to your relationship. Very much so. And, and having that natural transition of, um, being a daughter and, and, and being a kid and then having a friendship or a relationship with your mom, you know, you just never quite transcend into that. You can't know them as adults, which I think is a really, if you have the opportunity to know your parents as adults, it's a really interesting, wonderful, like psychological process to, Mm -hmm. to do that. And you just never get that. Um, but it sounds like you liked the episode in general. I just think it was, uh, um, it's a hard episode to get through because it's super heavy, I think, but I think it was well done. Yeah. Certainly well directed, Jody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Jody Foster. Uh, okay, so episode three is called Crocodile. Hmm. Uh, architect Mia scrambles to keep a dark secret under wraps while insurance investigator investigator Shazia harvests people's memories of a nearby accident scene. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So she so she goes to investigate this minor traffic accident right using a device that manifests people's memories so she'll go the main character will go in you know to uh this is the way okay let me start over you have an accident (laughs) a little fender bender or whatever or maybe something more major and instead of the investigator just calling up and getting everybody's take on it in this high-tech world there's an investigator that comes out and puts, you know, nodes or whatever on you and, and harvests your memory of what you saw. Mm -hmm. And so this is, but this was more of course, like, um, expert witness kind of, uh, memory, which, you know, we've talked a lot about on the show about how, um, I, I witnessing, eyewitness eyewitnessing is, uh, very unaccountable not helpful usually uh and and not unreliable unreliable thank you Mm -hmm. so yeah no this was an interesting this reminded me of like george orwell's 1984 you know (laughs) where it's like um big brothers watching you sort of thing and Mm -hmm. and the thought police and all of that and Mm -hmm. being able to track somebody's conscience yeah yeah. because i think that's really what what it is is like can you imagine we talk a lot about um just not you and i but in in when we're talking about like in the political climate we talk a lot about big government and overseeing and what are people allowed to know and um how much are people allowed to be tracked and things like that and so this is that you know futuristic fear of the thought police of people being able to actually get into your conscience and track um, and then also be able to assess how much you're willing to tell the truth. It's a creepy episode. It's really creepy because the big part that we're not talking about yet, but I will now, is that um, the other main character uh, was complicit in a crime early in life. And we the episode sort of starts with that. And someone dies and her and her boyfriend at the time get drug into a situation where they cover it up. And so then later, you know, she's, she's embroiled in sort of a conversation. The boyfriend comes back and he's like, I want to admit to what we did 20 years ago or whatever the hell. And um, I'm going to go, I'm going to write the mother of the person that died a letter and uh, blah, blah, blah. And she, and she starts freaking out. Like you're going to ruin my life. Cause she's this like really successful architect. Mm-hmm. And, 
meanwhile, she witnesses some kind of accident on the road and this, you know, this innocent insurance agent comes in to investigate this like silly whatever, this thing on the road mm-hmm. and uncovers the memories of what this woman actually did. And this woman ends up being like a stone cold killer. She's just like kills everybody. So yeah. so if you like slashers, if you like, you know, psycho female psychopaths, which we've been doing a series on obviously mm-hmm. on the show, this episode actually very much fits in that for sure in that genre. So if you if you like uh, psychopathic killing that had started in trauma, really, like what they did to that one person, yeah. they they didn't do that on purpose. Mm-hmm. They like hit a guy on the road, but then decided to cover it up mm-hmm. and then sort of carried that with them their whole right. lives. So yeah, she just ends up slaughtering everyone. She does. Which I she just keeps covering her tracks. Yeah, which as a horror fan, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was a horror episode. Yeah, in that way, you yeah. know, the serial killer type episode. But I liked it. Yeah, it was decent. Uh, so the next one is <laughs> called "Hang the DJ." I was mm. I was really hoping they'd play the Smith song <laughs> at I the know. end. I did too. I was like, I saw the title and I was like, oh. I already started singing it before I watched the episode. <laughs> so, uh, paired up by a dating program, Black Mirror does these constantly, like these kinds of shows. Paired up by a dating program that puts an expiration date on all relationships, Frank and Amy soon begin to question the system's logic. So. <laughs> What I, so what it really is is that okay so you and I you Kathy and I are in the dating world and we're out dating and we have a little app on our phone or whatever and we put our stuff our information in there and it tells us who to date it comes up with you know I'm gonna date date Bob and she's gonna date Sarah and we're gonna go on that date and then at the date you have the choice to ask the app how long you're gonna be dating that person so you know, you ask it and it says 17 days or it says three years or whatever. And you're sitting there looking at the person in front of you who you don't know. And mm-hmm. it could say 10 years mm-hmm. and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Or it could say one night or whatever. Right. So that's the basic premise. And then, and you're not allowed to go against that. The general rule is that you're not allowed to go against that. There's like big men in suits that come in and take you away if you like rebel against the system. So very black mirror, very big brother, very like, and they always have every season, they always have one or two episodes that are about love, you know, that are about uh, relationship and love. So this is that one. I think it does speak to dating in today's world where I think people do, I don't want to make, I don't want to make over like an overgeneralization, but I think that there is a lot of just this short term kind of hooking up mm-hmm. world. Sure. And in this episode, you know, it, you're just sort of under the impression that that's just the expectation that no long term intimate intimacy and long term commitment is almost seen as like. Yeah. I mean, you're the premise is that you're looking for your lifetime mate, right? And that you find them in the app. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of, that's what it sets up in the beginning is that like 
you go out on this first date and that first date could tell you that you're with your partner forever or something. But right. we, but it doesn't, you know, for the bulk of the episode, it's like one night, five yeah. years, three years, et cetera. You don't, and you don't really get to choose. And that you don't get to choose. It's completely, um, apparently with data, it's kind of like, you know, Facebook data tells you what you want to see, the ads you want to see, the, the people you want to interact with, the pages you want to like. It sort of collects who you are from a technological standpoint and then tells you what you want to see. And it's that idea only with dating. Now in the nature of this story is that these two people enjoy uh, one night or what have you. And they really, really, really like each other. There's a energy, there's a charisma, there's a really great sense of humor between the two of them. They very much like they just like each other it's like when you go on a first date and you're vibing and you're like dude this this yeah. person is awesome i, yeah. I want to see them again and then but the app says no right <laughs> and so then there's this you know hour long or, of situation where they see each other on other dates they see each other at different events you know they're in the same world and they see each other with other people and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and they keep running into each other it's that it's that it's that kismet of when someone keeps popping up in your life, I think we all have had that mm-hmm. in the past where you're like, yeah, this, the universe is really sort like of serendipitous saying something to me like, yeah. I need to keep revisiting this. Yeah. And then I guess they get matched up again and, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes from there. And, and yeah, like you said, you get to address, I think the woman in the story, she dates a man that's just like, you know, I find sex. The, let's just get that out of the way. We're going to be here for three years. So let's just see how that goes, you know? And yeah, and she's like, okay whatever yeah and he's all you know oiled up he's all he's like i'm the guy yeah but he's also been through a ton of women and been on it you know and i can see how you could get that way sure you know like i had empathy for him like Mm -hmm. you could totally get that way if nothing is permanent you know and you're just in these situations it's like okay well let's make the best of it well and i think that is how a lot of dating is now where people are so guarded and playing games where Mm -hmm. it does go straight to that because there is that idea of like well i know you're not going to really want to commit and so let's just have fun and let's right Mm -hmm. yeah so i could really see the the hopelessness in him and um i think so so what ends up happening in the end, <laughs> I think, is that you, what you realize, so there's a couple of couples along the way that they celebrate as having found their life mate. I don't know what they call it in the show. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. But, you know, you, you go to a, a life mate party or whatever they called it. Um, and these people are were observing like, oh, they found their person. That's amazing, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? So, but what you find out at the end is that the only people that actually truly find their life mate is the people that rebelled against the system, mm-hmm. which I thought was wonderful. Yes. Like I loved that way. No, the ending, was, ended. the ending was great. I love it because it's like, if you fight for each other to buck against the system and you fight and you, you know, cross the lines and get past the guys in the suits or whatever, and you fight for each other, if you have that much fight in you to go the distance, then what the system does is it says that, I remember it said like 99.8% of the time, these two would fight to be together. Mm. So every time they would be together, like every time they would be matched, the system did this like rubric of 99.8% of the time they would fight to be together. So let's just have them be together. And they like, 
you know, visually or visual effects wise, they have them sort of transcend to this heaven type place. And there's all these couples and they're all like transcending to the, like they've found their life mate, which I thought, I mean, like I said, Black Mirror always does like a love episode or a relationship episode. And I just, um, on this, uh, what I'm looking at, such a great metaphor, almost compares it to the San Junipero that we watched. Yeah. Which is still my favorite. episode. I know it's good. And I, and I, I really like this one too. It's, uh, it's that idea it's it's that very romantic idea mm-hmm. that we would all love to believe and want to sit in. I mean, I think it's a it's a charming, lovely idea that like when you find the person that you would fight for or fight the aristocracy for, yeah, then you get to be together or that's you right. end up together. And whether there's an app or not, I think in in average life that's sort of true. Like yep. you can decide to fight for that. So anyway, that's that one. Uh, the next one is called Metalhead. Let's see. Uh, in a post-apocalyptic landscape of the Scottish Moors, a woman attempts to survive a land full of dogs. This was also a straight horror uh, episode. You know how some of the Black Mirror episodes are? Yeah. Very much straight horror. <laughs> At an abandoned warehouse, scavengers searching for supplies encounter a ruthless foe and flee for their lives through a bleak wasteland. So it's robotic dogs. It's apocalyptic. Yeah, it's yeah. apocalyptic. It's robotic dogs that are, you know, made of metal. So metal head. And uh, I thought it was good. Yeah, it was okay. This is the one where I was like, eh, you know, it's, it's, they compare it to the Terminator a little bit and yeah, yeah. it has, it's, <laughs> it's, all, it's all in black and white. I mean, it visually it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does give you that really just kind of doomsday feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it was all right for me. I, I found myself getting a little distracted while I was watching it. Yeah, I did too. I was definitely distracted while I was watching it. I think anyone who likes um, robotic stuff because it's definitely about that, like robotic technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've, there's some memes and videos online about robotic dogs mm-hmm. in, the, in the news in the last several years. And so I don't know if it came from that or, you know, it's just happened to be in the zeitgeist at the same time. But there's uh, a lot of technology around, you know, those kinds of um things being created in real life. They, they have these, mm-hmm. but this, and this is very much, uh, gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. I liked the scenes because I like horror. I liked the scenes where she was like caught up in a tree mm-hmm. and the robotic dog was down on the ground, like waiting for her. And she was like slipping and falling and dropping stuff. And mm-hmm. it was very, uh, there was that horror tension that right. I really, right. that I really enjoy. So there was some of this, once I figured out sort of what was going on and that it was going to be more straight horror, I was like, okay that's what this is, you yeah. know, and that it's not going to be highly psychological. Although I'm sure there is some psychological message, mm-hmm. but I just don't know what it is. <laughs> it's a short episode. It's only 41 minutes. It's pretty quick. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's good. They, they should do some short ones, right? <laughs> it shouldn't all be movies. It even says, um, soundtrack features compositions by someone let's see hold on and includes some pieces which were used in the 1980 horror film the shining mm-hmm. so they yeah there's definitely a an influence there yeah it was they do have straight horror episodes so that was one of them yeah the last one is called black museum Ooh, this was an interesting one 
a woman enters the Black Museum where the proprietor tells his stories relating to the artifacts. Uh, on a dusty stretch of highway, a traveler comes across a museum that boasts rare criminal artifacts and a disturbing main attraction. Yeah, what did you... I mean, there are a lot of twists in this one. I think this is a, a really interesting... You, you, We watched a horror movie not that long ago that... Um, was similar, you know, someone who embodies a, a, another person who's in a coma I, for a different reason. But mm -hmm. this one is really like, um, well, it's got a little anthology feel to it too. There was like, like a couple of different stories, right? But yeah. There's multiple stories. Yeah. Um, one of them is based on a short story, uh, by Penn Jillette actually called pain addict. That's the first one. So yeah, it just, I, I guess it's, there's a weird uh, overarching theme of like feeling what somebody else might feel minus the consequences of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And sort of a, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a voyeurism into somebody's, you know, I mean, it gets, it gets much more complicated with some of the stories right. than that, but right. it starts out with pain leaching. He's yeah. He's, the he's, doctor, right? Yeah. There's yeah. a doctor and that's the one that's based on Pendulette's story. It's like, there's a doctor and he can feel pain, the other people's pain. And so when he puts hands on other people, he can feel their pain. And what's interesting about that is that he gets off on it. Yeah. He becomes obsessed and aroused like sexually and aroused yeah. and all of that, which of course is something that we we understand in mm -hmm. in our society uh in a in a more metaphoric sense this mm -hmm. is a more literal sense where he and so he becomes obsessed with pain and when he is unable to have access as a doctor because of his behavior to people in pain he realizes one day that he can inflict pain on himself right and get the same high and satisfaction. And so what we end up seeing him do is basically cut himself to shreds, mm -hmm. um, which is very horrifying. Right. So it's a great horror story in that way as he starts to cut himself and cut off fingers and, you know, pain, pain leech himself until he's unable to do so anymore. I do like the last story a lot. Which one was that? Um, that's the one where she her father is sent to the electric chair. Uh-huh. And then the, the man who who's essentially responsible for that um, ends up being the one who feels his pain mm -hmm. for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And the daughter like captures it in a keychain. that face in the keychain that was really creative. Yeah. He, yeah. They capture his ultimate, uh, well, torture, pain, punishment, and she captures him like a soul right in the keychain into the keychain and then she keeps it in her car and then she keeps it in her car to remember what he had done to what her mother or something i don't know yeah and and uh also just you know trapping him in his own hell basically right um and then the one in the middle that i remember is the one where uh the wife dies and you have the the husband has the or boyfriend whatever has the option to have her consciousness implanted oh. inside of his head and she wants to hug the son and all of that yeah i forgot about that one yeah so imagine if you will <laughs> i'll go twilight zone no imagine if you will a world where uh your partner is dying or dies and you're in a grief stricken state and you're asked to make 
a big decision in your grief stricken state, which yeah. we are not supposed to do. Right. <laughs> and that decision is, hey, you can let them go and mourn them, or we can trap their consciousness and put it inside your head. Yeah. Now, a lot of people are going to decide to do that because they're not ready to let go. Right. Um, especially if it wasn't like a long protracted illness or something, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you're not ready to let that person go. A lot of people are going to make that decision. So I thought it was very human right, to say like he decided to have her consciousness put in his head. And so then you get to see that, that representation, like on the left side of the screen, the woman, you know, his, his woman is sitting in, in a chair inside of his mind talking to him. Yeah. And unfortunately what ends up happening is become, she becomes a really uh, helpless, hopeless, um, codependent, can't control him, you know, frustrated, angry, kind of shrew type woman mm -hmm. where it's like, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And they have a kid. And so she's parent, she's, you know, backseat parenting. She's mm -hmm. telling him what to do, et cetera. And of course he then wants to date again. Right. And then that goes to hell. Right. And then of course the woman he's dating under, you know, is a part of this world as well and realizes that this is what he's done. And then they, are able to move the consciousness of his ex into a, like a teddy bear to give to the daughter. Yep, like yep, it's this yep. whole idea of, yep. of grief, another huge theme for black mirror, right. like not what we do with grief, let go. not being able to let go, mm -hmm. not being able to grieve. Um, and it always, always, always goes to hell. Right. In, in this particular, I mean, in this particular show, and I would argue probably in life too, it always goes to hell when you're ultimately not able to progress in right. grief, right? Yep. I mean, it doesn't just go away, but you have to progress. Right. Yeah. Otherwise you get, yeah, you're trapped in that. I mean, the Babadook, that's what that whole movie is about. And yeah. just the inner torment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've, done, we've done a lot of episode actually episodes actually on grief themes because mm -hmm. it's, it's a massive theme in horror, mm -hmm. which I appreciate yep. as far as psychologically speaking. So did you have, uh, I'm guessing Archangel was your favorite I one? think Archangel was, I don't know if that was my favorite, but I feel like it was really, like when you tell me that Jodie Foster directed it, I'm like, that makes sense to me. It was hard. It's a really heavy one. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I mean, they're all really heavy. So it's hard yeah. to say I have a favorite because- none of these I would watch again. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no. But I think I mean, that most Black Mirror episodes, I wouldn't actually watch again. I think Archangel and, and Hang the DJ were probably my two favorites from this gotcha. season. I really liked Hang the, Hang the DJ. I do like the like relationship yeah. of commentary that right. they have. It's just like a commentary on how we negotiate love i right. guess yeah and i do like those episodes so in general maybe those are the episode like that i would watch again like mm -hmm. i might watch hang the dj again i might watch the episode you mentioned mm -hmm. um which i can't remember the name of right now that was about love oh saint saint junipero yeah, yeah which was also a mini movie that I think I had mentioned when we did That's that. That's such episode. a great episode. Yeah, they had written it as a movie. It's the only Black Mirror episode I've actually like cried watching. It was really good, and yeah. it was written as a movie, and it was written by famous people that mm -hmm. are very good screenwriters. So it just makes sense, right? Uh, and I, but I would say I actually liked Crocodile. Mm. Um, Crocodile, yeah, 
Which is the one where she um, covers up her mess. Yeah, where she becomes a serial killer and yeah. <laughs> cover up her mess. It's she good, kills I mean, everyone. I just liked it because I thought it was very uh, dark. Yeah. And it, it explored the motivation to kill. Yeah. Which I, which I always find really interesting because I do think everybody has that ability within sure. them given the right set of circum, wrong set of circumstances, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, and just exploring that murderous revenge. I like the revenge mm-hmm. idea, um, exploring it psychologically. I don't mm-hmm. like revenge, <laughs> <laughs> but I like exploring that, that topic. Yeah. Um, so I did, and I enjoyed her performance quite a bit. She was great the killer lady. Yeah, she was um, great. But they were both good. The the woman the woman investigator was really amazing too. So I also, it kind of, you know, it was Scottish, right? That's the one that was in the Scottish. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I liked the setting a lot. Setting often has a lot to do with what I like in movies too. So anyway, yeah. those are my two, I guess. Awesome. Right on. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. So we just have season five left and we'll do that in a couple of months and then we'll be all the way through Black Mirror. We're going to have to figure out something else, right? Are they done? I I don't know. I think so. Okay. Probably. I don't know. There's Mm -hmm. probably like 45 articles about is Black Mirror done or yeah yeah on the internet i don't know you guys can tell us reach out and let us know if it's coming back and where it's coming back but we'll have season five in a couple of months and we thank you so much for listening this is terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone we hope you enjoyed this episode of terror talk Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.